You're listening to the PWB Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MSU Professional Women Builders Podcast. My name is Leah, and I am the current PWB president and junior in the MSU Construction Management Program. Today, I am joined by Jessica Flores, a professor at MSU and the owner of Preservation Forward. Welcome, Jessica. Please introduce yourself. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here today. Um, I'm founder and principal of Preservation Forward, which is a very small historic preservation consultancy where we specialize in the historic building trades, traditional building methods, and adaptive reuse. Um, And we focus on uh, communities and downtowns throughout Michigan and beyond. And we really enjoy working with Um, happy folks that love their old buildings and their communities. And as we've mentioned in a previous conversation, your background does actually relate to construction a little bit. Can can you tell us about that? Sure, I'm happy to tell you about that. So my background um, really started with my love for all things old and well-built. Um, as a child growing up in West Virginia, I actually was drugged to a lot of different flea markets and yard sales and junk shops by my parents, not knowing that later this would plant a seed within me that I would use um, to as a springboard for my career in historic preservation. But the one thing I remember is my parents would take me to historic historical sites and historic house tours. And that kind of stayed with me. And in fact, um, I just really enjoyed looking um, in other people's houses and in buildings and looking at building construction from a young age. And so kind of fast forward to my undergraduate um, studying when I was an undergrad at Ohio University, I started my own antique store and ran that antique shop in a historic building. And that really was the impetus for me to go into historic preservation. So while I was running the store, I was also working on the house and rehabilitating the building. The store was in the first floor and I lived above in an apartment. And the building was from um, the late 1880s. So I learned a lot through that and I thought, I'm really interested in the trades. And that kind of steered me on a different path. And I began to look at different trade schools and decided to attend um, Belmont College, which is one of the top hands-on trade schools for traditional building construction, building preservation, architectural conservation. It's all hands-on. So that, um, in the early 2000s, was really what helped to spur this, um, um, kind of reignite the fire within me from the seed that was planted when my parents would take me around all those different places in West Virginia. I just knew I wanted to do something um, to tell the story from generations long ago. And I thought this would be a good, this would be a good, um, path to follow, a meaningful path. And as you had mentioned that you had attended more hands-on trade school, so obviously there, there are roots in construction. How do you see, you know, how, how does construction play a role in historic preservation? Can you give us a little bit of a rundown of that? 
Sure. Well, historic preservation to me is all about kind of continuing the story from artisans and craftspeople from generations long ago. You know, something that I talk with my students a lot about is when different um, groups of people emigrated to our country, they brought different building skills and building construction methods from their homeland. So when um, Italian stonemasons emigrated here and then eventually built the Erie Canal, the methods that those who emigrated to our country, I had a really um, keen appreciation for. So that was my, my interest was, how do I continue that story? And I feel like historic preservation does that. So getting back to your question, how do I see the role of construction? What does it play in historic preservation? Well, we know that we're surrounded by the existing built environment, okay? So we have buildings around us that all show forms, even some of our infill construction and new construction show forms of ancient and classical civilizations. All construction begins with a post and in, in lintel, okay, as the basic framework. So when if you look at historic preservation, it's looking at our built environment and the artisans, the craft guilds that built those buildings and the different kind of methods of construction and analyzing that. And then looking at those buildings and thinking, can they be rehabilitated for a modern use in, in the 21st century? Can they be adapted? And so as a preservationist, we look at buildings in four different approaches to preserve, to reconstruct, rehabilitate, or to restore. Okay, that's four different approaches. Preserving is just kind of mothballing, keeping it in situ as it is, mm -hmm. making it not deteriorate further. Reconstruct is work reconstructing something. Think about William, Colonial Williamsburg actually um, was completely reconstructed with photo documentation. Okay. Um, rehabilitation is rehabilitating something to make it um, habitable once again. And then restoration is restoring to a certain period in time. So these four approaches is what I really have um, become to uh, have come to specialize in, in especially rehabilitation. So the basic fundamental is building construction, traditional building methods, and looking at the building environment around us. You had just mentioned that there are a lot of aspects that, that do relate to construction. So then what is it that you wish that people knew about historic preservation since it does seem like such a niche, um, since it seems like such a niche aspect of the built environment industry? Um, it's good that you said the niche word. You know, I remember, I recall being in um, undergraduate studies and my parents saying, Jessica, you're getting a little too specialized. I'm afraid that you're going to, you could just study architecture. But I actually wasn't happy with that. I knew I wanted to study the old methods. I wanted to understand what did they look at and what was their basis of their influence and what where did their passion come from to build some of the buildings that have, are surrounding us from 100 years ago. One thing that I like to say, Leah, is, is that it's not um, good because it's old. It's old because it's good, okay? <laughs> it's just that if it's lasted for 100 years, it can last for another 100 years. Um, so what do I wish that people knew about historic preservation? Well, it's often kind of this 
maybe misunderstood field that it's caught too costly, too expensive to rehabilitate or restore a building. But that's kind of a misnomer. If you look at the cost of demolition, it's quite expensive to demo an old building to just clear the land in order to build a new building. So why don't we think about the sustainability and longevity of the existing buildings around us? And then kind of think about, is it smarter to rehabilitate, repurpose those buildings? Um, I think about reuse, recycle, repurpose. This kind of is um, also a good nod to my friends in the domicology research area right now at the Center for Community and Economic Development here at MSU. They're really spearheading research in domicology, which is the life cycle of buildings and building parts. So, you know, I'm a diehard preservationist, but even I know that some buildings have to um, come down at some point. Some buildings just are too deteriorated to be turned around. But what we can do with those building materials is, is we can repurpose them for another life. And that's where the idea of dismantling and deconstruction comes in. In fact, the domicology group is really looking at this as a new segment of the construction management market that is a brand new um, area that you could specialize in, as in um, re-salvaging of building materials, recycling them, and getting them back out to the marketplace. Just another, another note on that is, is that it's kind of becoming the trend right now to use um, salvaged material in new construction. You also see the large mass timber um, building being built here on campus. So I feel like historic preservation is this creative way of looking at our existing built environment and it's a more sustainable approach and it has a heck of a lot of character and stories, you know? I think the comment you made or the point you made about cost and how a lot of people see, you know, how like trying to refurbish a building as being more expensive. I think that's a really interesting point you make because I feel like that is the the stigma that you would think that, oh yeah, okay, well, we're going to go in here and try to fix it, but it's going to cost us way more than if we were just to demo it. But that's that's a very interesting point that you made. And especially with the um, with the idea of adaptive reuse and the reusing of, of materials, I feel like that does play a large role in helping to maybe even reduce cost. So it's kind of an interesting, an interesting point you, you brought up. So kind of tapping back onto that, Leah, here's the thing I want you to remember as a student, think about this, because this is an, my mantra. And it's, I wish somebody told me this when I was younger. It is cheap labor isn't skilled. Skilled labor isn't cheap. Plan accordingly. So with historic preservation, here's the, the gist of it, is, is that the building materials are in situ. You need our crafted tradespeople, artisans, preservationists. They're the labor that works on the existing building. Their labor is not cheap because they're very skilled at what they do. The traditional trades are dying. So I'm always urging my students is, is that if you decide, if you go through the CM program and you have all of that knowledge base and you realize I do want to work with my hands, I encourage you to consider going into the trade school for a two-year trade 
paired with your CM degree, you're almost unstoppable. I feel like you have a good foundation of construction management principles, fundamentals, and you can work with your hands. You'll be able to dictate what you can charge when you want to work selective about your projects. It's just a win-win situation. So I think about um, when a building is in situ on site, it's that skilled person that's going to come and work on it. On the flip side, a new building, you can use not very skilled workers, but the materials are expensive. All the materials have to be brought on site. The utilities have to be piped out to the new location. Okay, so that's where it becomes more heavy, more expensive and heavier on materials and less on labor. Historic preservation is expensive on labor. Um, you know, one one final comment on this question is, is that and you get to do a lot of fun things with adapting old buildings for a new use. So, for instance, a church I recently worked on is now a restaurant. We've rehabilitated it. So um, you can breathe new life into old buildings. You just have to look at it creatively. And I feel like that's what historic preservation does. So as you mentioned about uh, buildings in regards to adaptive reuse, so what types of buildings uh, do you typically work on? And are there any unique projects that you're currently working on or have worked on? Yeah, that's a great question, Leah. Actually, the field of historic preservation takes you throughout a variety of unique building types. So right now I'm uh, working on a theater, the State Theater in Alpina. So a historic theater built in 1877, rehabbed in 1926, and now we're doing another historic rehab um, of the theater in Alpina. I'm working on a historic train station, a train depot, and a train car that's attached to it. So we're looking at what could the use of the train car be? And then how would it pair nicely with the train station? Um, projects in the past are churches being rehabilitated, um, adaptive reuse into brew pubs. Um, I have an old logging manor, actually the final, the last remaining logging manor in Leelanau County that we're making and turning into a wellness retreat. So it was once, it was built in 1903 and it was built for loggers that were coming up in Northern Michigan and then other folks that were seeking to tap into mineral waters for their um, medical medicinal purposes. And so now we're kind of going back to that and we're making it a wellness retreat and a wine tasting room to tap into some of those local wineries up in the Leelanau Peninsula. And as always, um, projects like mom and pop downtown, mixed use rehabs, where they have a bakery on the first floor and maybe some apartments on the second and third floor. But in the field of preservation, you kind of don't know what you're going to get from an old gas station to a downtown building to a historic theater. Um, one thing I did want to mention to, mention to you, Leah, is, is that we followed the Michigan existing building code and there's a special chapter within the existing building code that tells you how to approach historic buildings, and that's chapter 12. So you look at what are your sprinkling measures? What is your ADA compliance? How do you um, make it a universal design? So we incorporate some um, new construction um, 
code, but we follow the existing code. There's a little bit more flexibility with historic buildings that you will not get on a newly constructed building. And to touch on the business side of things, have you faced any challenges being a woman and running your own your own business? You know, Leah, it's funny that you mentioned that as in um, I actually, the position that I hold running preservation forward, I did a whole lot of the similar work when I was with the state of Michigan at the State Historic Preservation Office. Um, for a number of years, I was there and at the state energy office, and I would travel the state of Michigan and talk with a lot of our, um, a lot of contractors and um, a lot of other project managers. And, and typically, you know, it's a male dominant field, construction management is. And I think in the beginning, when I was still a little bit green and, um, <laughs> you know, not really feeling like I am an expert in this, I know what I'm doing, that I might have got caught a little flack. But now, actually, I feel like I dominate the um, the project. And I really feel like um, when I come on board to a, a preservation project, my I'm respected and my voice is, um, they care, you know, the team cares about what I have to bring to the table. So I can see about a decade and a half ago, I've been doing this for about 17 years, that that things were different. But now, 17 years later, like since 2003, um, I feel like the, the uh, male dominant construction management, historic preservation field is shifting. It's wonderful. You know, I'm lighthearted, Leah. Someone said, oh, you know, building construction? Do you mean Barbie's dream house? <laughs> and so, you know, I had to kind of set them straight. And I know all things old and well-built. You know, and, um, you know, I kind of laugh it off. But I was very serious when I was starting out. Now it's just kind of funny. Like you had mentioned, when you first started off, you were a little green behind the ears. So for the rest of us who are a little green behind the ears, do you have any advice for uh, for women pursuing careers in the built environment industry or for um, any of us who are looking at starting our own businesses one day? Yes. And in fact, I was talking to my um, interior design students yesterday about this, is, is that I'll ask do not be afraid to ask. They thought, well, can I, should I apply to this job? Would it be okay if I submitted my resume? There's no open positions, Jessica. And I said, the, the um, worst someone can ever say is no. And you will learn from that when someone says no. Um, but just ask. If there's something that you're really interested, don't be afraid to make it your niche and become the expert in that. If I had followed my parents saying you're getting too specialized, then I probably wouldn't have launched Preservation Forward. I wouldn't be where I am today. And actually, um, to share with you, my favorite part of what I do is teaching at the SBDC. And so it's really my um, passion and goal to plant a seed of historic preservation throughout the SPDC because preservation is planning, it's urban and regional planning, looking smartly at your downtowns and your communities, it's construction management at its basic, um, most basic framework. 
there's historic cultural landscapes. We look at landscapes of historic sites and consider that. So there's some landscape architecture. And of course, there's interior design, looking at historic interiors and period finishes. Women rock and they dominate the historic preservation field. Um, I've always had a lot of really wonderful female colleagues that I could count on architects, project managers, construction superintendents, to people that are doing um, gold leaf and, and doing stenciling on historic theaters. I mean, so I have a full gamut of really awesome females in my corner. And I just feel like as a, as a young woman starting out in this field, don't be afraid to ask. If you're told no, learn from it and keep your head up and be confident. Because I feel like you're at, um, you're at an advantage of being a female. And it's not a disadvantage. Just got a rocket. <laughs> I like that. Just got a rocket. That's, that's, that's good <laughs> advice. Well, thank you so much for, for having this conversation with me today. It was very, very insightful. And I think it really uh, is an, an eye opener to the field of historic preservation and definitely learned some things here today. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Leah. Happy to be a part of it. I appreciate it. <laughs> and thanks to our listeners for tuning into our podcast. And don't forget to keep up with the latest from Professional Women Builders on our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram pages at MSU PWB.